Hello and welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including what is the title of this podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J, and hello, Laura. So excited to have you. Hey, hey. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we're thrilled. This is wonderful. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. To that end, to those people who don't know who you might be, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Laura Kate Dale. I am a writer of varying, varying types. I do a lot of writing on the internet about video games and video game accessibility and things like that. I've been doing that for about a decade. And I also write books, which is sort of why I'm here today. A little background of some of the books I've written in the past. I wrote a memoir called Uncomfortable Labels that was about living at the intersection of being autistic and trans. I put out a book called Gender Euphoria, which was a collection of trans, non-binary, intersex people's stories of joy related to gender. I've released a children's book called Me and My Dysphoria Monster, which is a children's book about gender dysphoria, sort of approaching it in in approachable uh, language. A novel called Who Hunts the Whale, which is about the video game industry and the terrible business practices therein. And I have a new book coming out that Josephine is also in, which is called Stories of Autistic Joy, which is another anthology. And it is a book of a lot of different autistic people from around the world sharing stories of joy that are related to their autism, be that sort of directly in terms of stories of like, here's a thing I have a hyperfixation in and what it feels like to have such a strong obsession with something you love, through to uh, more tangentially related stories of the autistic experience and the joys that can come from it. So that's me. I put that book together and also Josephine's in it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to be in it, which neatly goes into me. I'll introduce myself then. Jay normally goes first and I'm just going to usurp your position, Jay. Um, <laughs> it's totally I... fine. But I was going to ask one question. Which yeah. pronouns should we use for you? Ah, she, lovely. her. She, her. Thank you very much. Um, yes. Hi, my name is Josephine Baird. Uh, as you just heard, I'm a writer of occasional uh, occasion. I uh, <laughs> I write sometimes academically because I'm an academic. I teach and research on game design at the University of Uppsala Department of Game Design, funnily enough. When I'm not doing that, I have been doing an awful lot of writing, one of which is a story that appears in this anthology, which I'm very proud of and I would like to talk a little bit about later on, no doubt. And the rest of it is, at the moment, I'm writing or nearly finished a novel which surprised me because it just came out and I'm really excited to release that in some (laughs) form or fashion very soon. Otherwise, I've been a performer at some points in my life, and I like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery because, because, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to ask you as well, my lovely pronouns. And I do forget. Yes, my pronouns are she, her. Thank you. Although Jay occasionally calls me they, and I don't mind. Also, as a side note, before you do your introductions, Jay, I know this is an audio-only medium, but I've just noticed my children's book on your shelf, and that made me very excited. <laughs> oh, oh, good, because I was going to say, I thought I had it, yeah. and I wasn't sure. It's I've in got... the back corner, I just thought it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. I will tell you about your other book in a moment. So, hey, I'm Dr. J, use they as a pronoun. I have a job title that is Harbinger of Change because I work at a software consultancy that allowed you to write your own job title. And why not be fabulous when you do that? 
I also got to write my own gender via the New Zealand government. So my gender is transgressive, non-binary, gender queer. That is on a statutory declaration. I will soon have a birth certificate from the New Zealand government as well with the right name on it that will say that I am non-binary from birth. So when anyone says, but what's on your birth certificate, I can go, voila, eat this. What else am I? I'm a troublemaker, as if you couldn't tell, and a hashtag queer nuisance, because I went to one queer theory lecture once, understood almost nothing of it, but took away this notion of being a queer nuisance, queers up the space that you're in, and decided that was really good branding for me. So that's me. And I got uncomfortable labels as a gift from an autistic trans friend for my 50th birthday. And when I finished reading it, I put it into the ThoughtWorks library. We have a library at work where we have a collection of books on trans and non-binary experiences and that in a technical software consultancy, along with all books on how to write code and things like that, because it means that people can just go and pick up a book and look at it. And one of the things that I also did, which is why I love children's books, I got a lot of children's books on gender and put them in the library as well, because just being able to pick up a children's book for five minutes and read it, and people often had kids coming into the office and then give them a stack of children's books and the kids would come out going, I have a dysphoria monster or oh, I've read about this this experience. And everyone would be like, what? And I would publish around all the different books that I bought into the library that were around gender and difference and sexuality and that. And everyone loved it because it's just a resource that allowed people to kind of understand more of other people's lives. So I will be getting a copy of your book to put in there as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's so lovely. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful. And in fact, actually, I think that's part of what we're going to talk about today, which I'm really excited to discuss because this particular book, and I think it will be really cool to have that in that library, Jake. And I think that's a wonderful way to do it. Really explores this notion of joy. And I would love to hear more about how you're feeling about that, Laura. You mentioned that you feel like you've shifted towards writing about joy a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my early writing, both in the video game space and in books that I wrote and, and writing about gender and disability, focused on negativity for varying reasons. Um, when it came to the video game work I was doing, there was a lot of really poor treatment of workers happening in the video game industry that the industry at large didn't seem willing to talk about. There was a lot of like, oh, it's terrible that the workers are being mistreated by their bosses. Anyway, the new uh, game from the studio is out. Let's get excited for it. And I felt sort of an obligation to be, you know, to not let these stories die because they were being so quickly forgotten and they need to be sort of paid attention to. And then sort of in my own writing about gender and disability, I think a lot of it centers around the fact that like, Stories of transition are very often rooted in negativity for a couple of reasons. Part of it is because like media portrayals of transness from the exterior are often focused on negativity. Part of it is focused on the fact that like when you are facing roadblock after roadblock to get access to care, it feels very negative when you're in the midst of that. And part of it is because trying to escape from a feeling of negativity is a very easy thing to explain to people who might not understand transness. And that all sort of conflates to it being very easy to focus on talking about transness as a negative. And I think the same is 
largely true of disability. Um, if you are living undiagnosed with a disability, you have a lot of negative experiences tied up in that, and it can be easy to frame discussions of what that was like through that lens of negativity because of those barriers. And I know in my own work that kind of manifested in, as as important as I think it was for me to write, my first book, Uncomfortable Labels, very much did focus on the difficulties I experienced at the intersection of being trans and autistic. And I don't regret writing that book in any way. I think that it was the right book for me to write at the time. But part of it was just time happening and me getting to a point in my life where I had better support tools for my disability, where my life as a trans person was no longer in the midst of trying to get through the gatekeeping steps of transition. I just had a moment of calm where I could go, I'm just kind of living life now. And that negativity isn't all that I am. And that sort of led on to eventually me writing more about joy. Starting by talking a little bit about Gender Euphoria as a book, that book very much came about because uh, I started writing it in late, late 2019, coming up to 2020. And it was a time when there was a really stark increase in transphobic rhetoric in the UK in particular. A lot of mainstream news organizations were starting to platform transphobia in a way they hadn't done so before. And when you sort of put that on top of the fact that COVID meant that in-person queer gatherings weren't really going to be a thing, and that sense of community that would usually have carried me through that negativity wasn't going to be there, I, as a writer, I needed some positivity. It was a rough time to be a trans person. And... I knew the best way for me to get to focus on joy was to work on a project where I could write a lot about joy and get other people to write about joy and put it all together. And I hoped that by creating a project that gave me the joy I needed while writing it, that would translate into something joyful for other people to read. And that book did really well. It released right at the right time it needed to when things were really pretty rough and it was nice to be able to focus on joy and the positives of my identity for a while. And that experience really stuck with me and led to stories of autistic joy happening now. Because the more I think about it, the more I have realized as a writer that there's a lot of identities you can have where you are actively discouraged from talking about your joy or you get this experience of being criticized for being joyful or for putting joy at the forefront. In both the forewords to gender euphoria and to stories of autistic joy, I have to do a lot of work in that foreword, justifying the existence of a book of joy about these communities I'm a part of. Because you get, you know, for the trans community, you get people going, why are you painting a picture as if this is going to be easy and wonderful and lovely and never bad? You should be acknowledging that it's going to be a rough road that people have to go down. And if you talk about autistic joy or joy as a disabled person, you get people going, well, I don't feel joyful about my disability. I feel pretty miserable about it. So it's erasing my experience if you center joy for a moment. And realizing that there is such a degree of like societal expectation you not center joy in talking about two aspects of myself that are pretty core to how I am really hammered home this idea of why it felt necessary to write these kind of books I want to focus on talking about joy even if society says no you shouldn't be centering joy for these communities I'm like why not we get to be the happy as who we are and that means talking about joy sometimes
this is why we wanted to talk about it because it's complicated, right? It's just complicated by the fact that we are expected to have one story. And that's something that I had a wonderful interview with a trans artist called Danielle Braithwaite-Shirley, who is sort of game designer slash artist who produces amazing work around Black trans narratives. Mm. And she was saying, you know, we are asked to produce one story. That's our value as trans people. We are asked to produce this story and therefore we are recognizable as such. But what is dangerous is to produce a different story, especially one that might be positive, the one that might show joy or laughter or irreverence or Mm. just going, yes, I know, I know (laughs) it's terrible, but there's also beauty here. And I can't think of anything more dangerous (laughs) or queer Mm. than to be joyful in the opposition of that, because it is the reaction. I think like this show being called It's Complicated, I think it's like, you made a really good point there about like it being expected to have like one consistent narrative. It's like one thing I experienced both with working on gender euphoria and also stories of autistic joy was a lot of people's stories shared in both those anthologies do touch quite a lot on negativity. And that was a back and forth I had with editors on it was finding that line because so often like, stories aren't cleanly this is just a good positive and sometimes positivity comes out of negativity sometimes the two are intertwined sometimes you need that contrast of this is such a positive because of how it contrasts with the negative stories like this aren't clean and people's experiences with joy aren't always neat cookie cutter narratives but they're still just as valid as places to find joy as a non-binary person who doesn't fit that transnormative narrative of I'm going from this side of the binary to the side of the binary and I didn't like it here and I'm going to like it more here and I've been doing the none of that fits with me and I was thinking of something because somebody said I don't get my gender euphoria from wearing a pair of gym shorts and there was part of me going actually I do I love the fact that I can wear like a pair of gym shorts that are baggy that come to my knees that give me that real skater vibe and I can just kind of amble around like that. I got high-fived by a kid in the street the other day for how I looked. I have no idea what this kid was thinking, but honestly, I just had this kid come up to me and just give me a high-five and then walk off chatting to their mates like, oh my God, that was the most awesome person. I'm like, I have no idea of what just happened, but that was just kind of one of those moments. And I was just in a baggy pair of skate shorts admittedly they brightly colored and a whole pile of things and the rest of me was brightly colored but still i think that's the important thing about joy though is it doesn't have to be these big moments it can just be really simple things that like you know maybe it was important to you for a specific reason maybe you have no idea why it stuck with you and was so positive but like it's one of the things i've really loved about doing anthologies about joy is that joy can take so many shapes for so many different reasons and mean so many different things for different people It's a a big part of why I've tried to be very widespread with the people I've involved in these anthologies. I've wanted to be like, make sure that there is a range of ages, locations around the world, experiences of transness or disability, because what finding that joy means is so different for everyone's story. And I love that variation. I love that someone's moment of joy can be a big grand thing and that someone else's moment of joy can be like, I got given a piece of clothing for Christmas and it's only important because of something for me. And that is like a life-changing moment that other people might not get. 
And that whole range of what can be someone's like joyful moment is beautiful and a thing we should embrace. I think it's always the little things. Uh, when I was trying desperate to be an academic the first time around and realized that you can't really do that when you don't have an income, that uh, was this struggle with what is transgressive, what is going to fight back against this normativity. And there was so much writing about grand gestures or being really, really out there and being really, really powerful. And I'm amazed by that. And it always, I admired tremendously people who've been able to do that. But it always felt a slightly disempowering idea that somebody who doesn't have that opportunity or doesn't have that moment can't also be transgressive. And it occurs that it's actually only the little things. Those things are that are really, really transgressive. That your moment of joy stolen from a community that tells you you can't be joyous because, of course, you must be miserable because yeah. you're so different and so excluded. And we've excluded you. How dare you be happy <laughs> about anything? You know, a shade of lipstick, uh, somebody high-fiving you in the street, whatever. I was just thinking about those moments of joy that I get at work when people introduce themselves and say their pronouns. And it's that normalizing it that yeah. happens now in all of the meetings. Everyone says, I'm so-and-so and my pronouns are that. And off they go. And this is huge because it just quietly changes the norm of what is an introduction. And every time it makes my little heart sing of like, yeah. oh, there's a moment somebody used the right name for me. Somebody used the right pronouns for me. And your heart just goes, bing. I had a lot of conversations with people around the time I was working on both of these anthologies in terms of like having conversations with people where they were like, I don't think I have any moments of joy related to my transness or my being autistic. And I felt kind of sad hearing that. And like, I had conversations with some of these people about like, maybe there are things that are joyful that you're overlooking. Because like, I think for a lot of people, it's easy to take for granted those little moments. And it's something that I found has really helped in my life with my mental health is remembering to cherish the insignificant. Like for me, I think about recent things that have made me joyful. I go swimming once a week and gendered changing rooms have always been like always a bit of a stressful thing as a trans person. There is an old lady that goes swimming on the same day of the week as me who was always in the changing room at the same time and we get on really well. And Something about just having a friendly face that I see every week who's always happy to see me in a space that I might otherwise be nervous about being gatekept in is really reassuring. It's having that moment of, I know that you're a friendly face that if someone, like, you know, tries to hassle me, you will be there to be positive because, like, you're just a friendly face in this space. It's little things like that that it's so easy to take them for granted if you don't stop and acknowledge them in the moment and go, that's really nice that I have that. It reminds me, we did a, a wonderful interview with um, Rosie Garland, who's a, an author and a musician. She's currently touring with the March Violets. And she said that one of the things that really helped her keep going, because we were talking about this keep going in the face of all of the things that were happening and still are. Um, she said the thing that she liked to do was get up in the morning uh, very early and the first thing she does is go for a walk no matter how cold or miserable it was it was like and she would see the milkman and then a person walking the dog every time walking the dog and they had this interaction it was this morning and it was the 
morning that <laughs> did it. It was like these two people just go and then leave in the most British way possible. And she talked about the energy that gives, because I think that's the other aspect of joy is it gives back. It's not taking away. I think it is generative. And that moment of experiencing something small can be magnificent. Indeed. While we're on this sort of topic, do you want to talk about your your essay? Which, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, yours is the last one in the book. Yours is the last thing anyone reads at the end of the book. You are you are the that finishing little essay on the book. Do you want to talk about it a bit? That makes me so proud. I'm so excited. Oh <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Um, this was the first time I got to write about this. Actually, I was I don't like diagnosed, but I had an assessment for autism a couple of years ago, and it was actually as a result of our daughter being autistic. And the funny thing that apparently happens with parents of autistic children is that when they have autistic children, they start to realize that, oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, I gotta, I gotta read about my kids' symptoms. Oh wait, these are just me. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Well, like well, she was learning language, and the way she yeah. learned language was echolalically, which is unusual way to learn language. She just learned how to make the sound, and she realized that the sound and the meaning were related somehow. Mm. So I make this sound; it must mean this thing, and that's how she learned language. And for other people around us, that was very confusing. And she spoke metaphorically. She still does, and I understood it implicitly it was like no i get it this is what she means or this is what she means and that's how it is and and oh she's having this really strong feeling and this really difficult reaction i know how that is and then realize no one else around me had the same connection and I'm like ah that's that's me as well and for a long time there was not i tried not to have shame i implicitly believed that being autistic wasn't shameful i had a daughter and i wanted to encourage her to feel proud of who she is in every aspect, including being autistic. And it challenged me to do the same thing. And one thing I hadn't done was come out as autistic. I'd come out as trans. We always come out every day to everybody. But I came out as autistic in these little moments. But this was the first opportunity to really write about it. And what I really loved about this opportunity, I'm so grateful that you picked this essay and gave me this chance to write this is because I get to be joyful about it because I did struggle and I wish I hadn't you know this part of me goes oh I wish I was strong and great and immediately happy but I found this special time to consider and reflect by writing this not just my own joy but the connection I had with my daughter and how we found the joy of being metaphorical and having this slightly um, askew view of the world that we can share. And it led me to a bunch of things like being really happy and joyful about stimming, which I now do regularly and joyfully in lots of different ways. And yeah, it was deeply, well, I'm getting a bit emotional. Oh. It was, it was very um, uh, profoundly moving to be able to write that at all and if you didn't publish it if it wasn't in the book it would have been special anyway and to then be in this anthology and then to be told that this is the last story I was absolutely thrilled it, it is an absolutely lovely story I feel really proud to be able to share it it's one that when you pitched that story to me 
it made me think about an experience I had, which was far less profound, but like very similar reasoning. And it made me think of, um, I had a really, I, I, there's, a, okay, story time. There is an episode of Star Trek about an alien species called the Darmok. And their whole thing is speaking in metaphor and reference. And I remember that episode very vividly from childhood of like, not understanding what was so hard to understand about this species that spoke in like colloquial metaphor and it's sort of repeating things you've heard elsewhere that fit context and i remember that being really significant to me like when i saw that as a kid and not really knowing why and then reading your story i was like oh yeah no you have you've done a much better job of articulating a thing that i experienced and didn't really have words for at the time and that experience of like connecting with the idea of slightly more metaphorical repeated patterns of speech as a valid way of communicating was really lovely and you told the story in a really beautiful way (laughs) thank you part of the story is about the way miranda speaks and recognizing that i had learned to speak that way too but i'd kind of been socialized out of it whereas i had this opportunity to not only give give what a thing I could do is give her the space but give it to myself as well and because she would say and she still does she she describes things in her own way so uh, one of the things that always felt truly magical is that she came one day to me and said mommy I want uh I want a balloon with clouds in and I was like balloon clouds in it she's like and then she's gesturing you, you know um balloon yeah. and i was like a helium balloon yeah it's, right because it, 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 it floats has, up in the sky like clouds, clouds right yeah, clouds yeah, same thing and so there's lots of these things that she she says and it just feels joyful and not just but magical and and still entirely accurate like yeah i know what you mean yeah i think with stories of autistic joys and anthology one theme that really comes through in a lot of the stories in there is coming to a place of it's okay to do the things that bring me joy. Because I know for a lot of autistic people, um, particularly those who are diagnosed a bit, you know, uh, a bit later in life, you do have a lot of, there's often a lot of guilt and shame wrapped around things that are not hurting or harming anyone, but are not normal, are not the way that other people are supposed to behave and that are sort of drilled out of you. And I know for me, that was a big part of my journey with finding joy as an autistic person was learning to give myself permission to do the things that worked for me and finding that sort of there's a requirement of like taking space and care for yourself to carve that kind of joy out and I think there is a joy in that in and of its own is reaching a point in life where you feel safe enough to go it's okay for me to unpack why was I made to feel bad about certain behaviors of mine would doing that bring me joy and rebuilding those parts of yourself you've had to kind of squash down is as much as it is a shared source of trauma for a lot of autistic people it's a space that a lot of joy grows out of later and it's okay to celebrate that joy even if it is because of a contrast of it sucks that I I wasn't supported earlier but I am discovering how to support myself now I think that experience is across all kind. I'm going to use the mm. word neurospice yeah. because I'm the non-autistic or the non-diagnosed autistic person because my diagnosis is CPTSD. Yeah. So I have similar behaviors, but from a very different yeah. route and yeah. different background. And it's 
the way forward from that is mm. the same thing of taking that time for self-care, for finding yourself in a space that's safe enough to mm. unpack stuff and to build a way forward and to reinterpret things and to look at what are the good bits in there. I think of that because I walk with a stick because I smashed my leg. I smashed my leg skateboarding. The week that I broke my leg is a hugely significant week. And I never mourn the fact that I now walk differently mm. because it really reconnected me with my dad when he was going through a serious operation in that last 18 months of his life, him and I got a real chance to connect on our recoveries. So it means that I never mourn the loss of my mobility and people don't seem to get that because they're like, mm. Oh my God, you went from this person who could do all of this stuff to somebody who now has to walk with a stick and has trouble with steps and is a bit slow if there's a slope and things like this. And it's like, yeah, but I never curse that I because I think about the joy that came out of my dad and I recovering together. I think there is a real experience like across the board from people who are not people who are of the the average of where they live. People who are, you know, um um cis people, people who aren't disabled, looking in on other people's experiences and going, I wouldn't want it like if you gave me the choice today, I wouldn't want to be like you. So I can't imagine how you would be happy being you. I think that's what a lot of it boils down to, is a lack of imagination that joy might look different for someone else than it looks for you. And that if you can see even one potential negative downside to being someone else, that person's life must objectively be worse than if they weren't the way they are. And like looking at autism as a thing, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't lots of instances in my life that were made considerably harder by being autistic and I can see how someone from the outside would look in and go so being autistic is objectively a bad thing and I'm like well no it's bad in those moments where it is it is having negative impacts but it is good in the moments where it is giving me unique forms of joy that other people don't really get to experience like sure I might eat a piece of cake in the fridge and be like, it's been too near other smells and now it tastes different and I can't eat it. But I also get to be like, I was so excited about trains that a train company let me get married on, on a train because I fucking love trains. Can and you tell that story? Oh, yeah. So uh, there is a train company in the UK, Avanti West Coast, who put a tweet up that was it's something to the effect of, uh, would you like to get married on one of our one of our trains? We'll pay for everything to do with the wedding. Uh, you've got like one sentence to tell us why you should win a free wedding. And without really thinking about it, I sent them a message that was something to the effect of, I love trains. I'm a little obsessed with trains. I've got a thing on my desk right now that is, um, it's a notice board that does real-time updates of any UK train station you select. And it has real-time updates of the trains coming in and delays to the trains. And you can have it do the voice of the train announcer. So it makes the train announcements come out of the little thing on my desk. And I also was like, I've wanted to get married for a while and been delayed because as a trans person, that's kind of tricky to get the legal stuff done. And they responded really positively and were like, We've got availability in two weeks. Do you want to get married in two weeks and we'll pay for everything and you get married on a train? So we had a first class train carriage on a train that was done up all fancy and at like a hundred plus miles an hour between Houston and Birmingham New Street, uh, we got married in a custom little wedding outfitted uh, train car. Somewhere in the background of this shot, I have a first class headrest that is like monogrammed for our wedding. 
that everyone got to take home as like little wedding favors. And that was a thing that was like, I love trains, not mechanically. I know it's a bit of an autism stereotype to love trains. I'm not like obsessed with the mechanical properties of them. I love them as a societal function. I love that they are this predictable, regular, on schedule, on time, goes the same way, the same place, the same time, all the time, and gets people where they're going. And it's just this very dependable function that exists in society. And being able to have my wedding day be this very gender-affirming day as a trans person, getting to be the regal, beautiful, feminine centre of attention, but also, I'm on a train, and I'm on a special carriage on a train, I get special train carriages, was like, that's a joy that is specific to being autistic that, like, other people won't experience. And I try and look at, like, I have my rough days, but I also get to have, like, an obsessive level interest in a weird niche little thing that I get, like, bubbly with excitement about. (laughs) You might enjoy hearing about my day job currently. I'm working on the data set that manages all of the access points to public transport in the UK, which includes every single train, train platform, metro station, metro platform, bus, taxi, (laughs) etc. And I work with a bunch of people who will love that story because they are just as obsessed about (laughs) trains and data and some of them are neurospicy and some of them are diagnosed neurospicy and some of them are just really lovely people who really enjoy trying to make this stuff work. And that's why I was creasing up with laughter because it's like <laughs> only I could be on a conversation about <laughs> trains because I get to run two-hour workshops discussing the finer nuances of how we put a train state. What is the difference between a train, a tram, and a light rail? (laughs) And how we describe that difference in data in such a way that consumers of the data can understand whether at this place they're going to catch a train, a tram, or light rail. That is wonderful, and thank you for helping in some way in the system that lets me have a little box on my phone, uh, (laughs) on my desk, that occasionally just makes sounds and tells me that the train from my local station's been delayed by five minutes. I'm not catching that train, but I want to know that it's delayed. (laughs) But yeah, that's the thing. Like, joy, joy can take any shape, and it's learning to not be ashamed of what way your joy happens to be is the thing, I think. One of my favorite things to discuss with other autistic people is our special interests. Because yeah. somebody said this to me, how, how did they put it? Or I think this is a common expression. It's like, I may not be interested in the thing that you're interested in, but I love the passion you have for it. And I just want to hear all about it. I, Tell me everything. I could listen to any autistic person go on at length about that thing they know everything about. Because like, I... I've been the person who's recognised I'm starting to like info dump about a topic I love and cut myself off and gone, oh, I'm I'm really sorry, I recognise this is not like the amount of talking I'm meant to be doing in a conversation. And it wasn't until I met other autistic people who I had that conversation with the like, no, 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 keep talking. You're clearly enthused. I want to hear about the thing you're enthused about. And my going, oh, yeah, of course, I would feel the same if you did that to me, because I just I love passion. I love when people care enough about a thing because like if someone cares that much about a thing they can make you understand why they care about it and i'm like if i don't care about it now i will by the time you're done just tell me why you love it the joy of experiencing someone else's joy Mm. so infectious and i feel the same way and my special interest has often 
danced around the place. It, it's, mm. like, you know, for a little while I had this inadequacy. I'm like, am I inadequate as an autistic person not having one? No, I know. It just, but it just yeah, for a moment, I get, I get just for it, a though, moment yeah. I felt that way. But I was like, oh no, I've, I've had a special interest in skates at one point. Like, what trucks, what bearings to use, what combination of wheel size and density and height, what, what's the peak set of boot to truck ratio that I'm going to need to do what I want to do. But then also everybody else is, I'm really interested in exactly what's the dynamic of your wheel right now? Because, oh, it's so interesting. How are you? Oh, okay, I got No, 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 but don't, no, don't like, stop. <laughs> oh, the, the, Jay, you might not know this, like the, you, if you have two different sets of wheels of two different materials of two mm. different diameters, but you put them in a sort of diagonal, sort of like cross diagonal uh, setup on your skates, you can actually create different curves and abilities yeah. to be particularly dexterous as, with your skates. As someone who did roller derby for a while, I know exactly about this in like the uh, doing them on diagonal so you have a better time of doing turns in certain directions. But yeah, this is the thing. And on that topic of like flitting around obsessions, I do the same, and I I think like a a way of explaining that that like I've used with people before is like my hyperfixations are often um there are often external factors that bump me around them. Like the last time I went through a really really heavy fixation period of uh with trains was during COVID, and a lot of the reason for that was I used to be someone that did a lot of train travel regularly and almost took it for granted, um and then couldn't train travel anywhere for like a year. And I started really missing it. And that got me back into that period of like watching videos of train journeys in other countries or playing train simulator with my fancy train controller. You know, maybe I'll flit over to Pokemon when a new Pokemon comes out. And for like six months, I will be soaking in every bit of information I can about that. I think it's totally understandable to be like, an external factor is meant I'm swapping over to this thing for now. And that's what's given the dopamine. Uh, I, I feel <laughs> I feel like my current situation is a product of that as well, because for, for many, many, many years, as long as I can remember, and I wrote a story about this for another book, video games were a space that I could exist in that was not judgmental, it wasn't scary, mm. I could explore and express and even embody myself in these environments, and I was fascinated not just about that opportunity, but how they worked. Like, mm. why does it do this? And how can you do this? And what would happen if you did that? And what would this do if you changed this? And what would the knock-on effect would be this? And if your rule set is that, can you change it and then make this happen? And I've been doing that for all my life. That's been one that's actually been consistent. And when I was feeling particularly rough, because uh, I have a diagnosis for PTSD as well, and mm. unfortunately, autism and PTSD and being different in any way and PTSD, they tend yeah. to go together. When I was yeah. in a rough period, uh, my wife reminded me of the joy that I found in games. And I was like, oh, isn't that, is, is that really something I can claim? And she was like, yeah. And through a series of different events, realizing my passion for what they can do, even in the mm. face of what they sometimes shouldn't do, what they can do has led me to this island <laughs> where I'm teaching about this now. And I got to write this because of realizing the joy of a hyperfixation that has brought me a sense of security and wonder and art and also just the minutiae of everything because it's i love the technicalities of everything yeah. and how you can tell a story that way it's very cool <gasps> okay <laughs> 
I was joking earlier when Josephine was doing the whole <laughs> the intersection between queer and autistic and and trauma and i'm like it's a circle yeah it's literally the venn diagram is just a circle it's just become a a standard this is a circle everyone has it like so many things that are great um (laughs) it feels to me that we've kind of come to a really nice circle around for this conversation it feels like we've explored joy in lots of different ways and then she wanted to express something else. There is something that we do joyously at the end of every episode. That I'm I'm okay with jumping to the joyously done thing at the end of the episode, if you would like. Excellent. Um, every episode, Jay and I talk about the breathtaking quality of Keanu Reeves in many different guises and opportunities. And on this occasion, when Jay and I were talking about how breathtaking Keanu Reeves was, we both realized that Um, Neither of us had paid much attention to Keanu Reeves recently because we've both been hyperfixated on Baldur's Gate 3. And not just that, Mm -hmm. but how breathtaking certain characters are in it. And (laughs) I thought perhaps just as a a little change and a moment of joy, perhaps we could all talk about how breathtaking certain characters are in that game because I I can't help myself. I'm, I'm in love. Yeah, that that game's really good. Um, so look, as someone who's primarily uh, attracted to women, um, Carlac instantly uh, caught my attention. I'm a real sucker for like, ah, you've you've got you're tall and have horns. Uh, t- yes, I'm on board. Um, <laughs> you know, instantly on board. Weirdly, the romance option I've been like, I didn't expect myself to be as into as I was. Astarian. Astarian's energy is fantastic. Like, like the way I want to talk about Astarian is like Astarian seems like the most fun a terrible choice will ever be. Like the best terrible mistake I could make, and I really like that. I yeah. am slightly weirded out by Astarian because the way that he's voiced and the way that he acts is so like a friend of mine <laughs> uh, called Dusty Limits, who's a performer who performs that kind of almost, and honestly, I he is vampiric and he does have a picture in the attic because he hasn't changed in the 18 years that I've known him one iota, but he does have that same kind of style in his performance and things like that. And I'm just like, I like you, but I'm freaked out because you feel like this other person who I know and is a good friend, and that would be very weird. And it's just kind of so it's got an added layer of mm. of fun. But yes, the best, the most fun bad choice. Whereas, um, oh, green skin. Oh biggie. yes, um, how oh, Lizelle. Thank yes. you. Yes, 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 yes. Mind you, my character's already been banging Lizelle, so I finally got to see my character naked. And my God, my character has a great ass. I'm just like, oh, oh, I want to take screenshots of this gorgeous, gorgeous beast that I've managed to build and play as, which is just so much fun. I'm dragon, dragonborn, dragon thingamabobs. And um, yeah, yeah, have just crafted a gorgeous non-binary beast. I've just realized there is a worse mistake you can make that is uh, not, not a romance option per se. Uh, you can make out with a mind flayer in this, and I wouldn't recommend it unless you're going to save scum. But I'm so glad this game lets you just make out with the yes, face of tentacles. I did it. Too. Should you decide, like, couldn't say no to it. I couldn't either. There's only you know, there's only so many opportunities you get in this life. Is 
I am still playing Act One and have only just discovered the underground, underdark, under thingy. You might note that I don't remember the names of anything. I have also played Skyrim solidly since it came out. And now my only other game that I, I do own other games because Josephine keeps on buying and giving me games occasionally. Of like, <laughs> I think you would like this if you ever finished Skyrim. <laughs> and somehow Baldur's Gate got me away from playing Skyrim for a bit, possibly for a while, but I will probably end up being drawn back to Skyrim just for wandering around picking flowers. But it's that I don't remember the names of anything, but there's an underground part that's got pretty crystals that I'm wandering around in. Oh, getting yes. killed, Getting killed by the environment because I didn't remember to shut the door. <laughs> no. There's uh, a Jay, I have to ask, and Laura, um, how do you feel about being spoiled a little bit about certain things, Jay? It's my memory. Do you do you honestly oh, think that I okay. would recognize who you're talking about or anything like that? Okay, so do listener for 30 seconds. Laura, do you mind if I just... Oh, go ahead. I'm pretty deep in. Uh, I'm good. There's an amazing scene where you can go to the house of a demon who's been trying to um, basically entice you for the whole time. And you, you can kind of... Many choices, depending on what you decide to do in this house, you can choose to engage with it. One of those choices is you happen to meet a devil who's lying in a bed, just languidly, just sort of like, oh, hello, there you are. And then, oh, you need some information, do you? You need to unlock this safe. Um, well, I happen to know the combination, you know. It's like, and I also find you very attractive. Would you mind having wonderful sex together? And you, of course, you can. And then afterwards says, oh, by the way, I've now done a bit of magic so that every time someone thinks about me or thinks about you, you'll experience this orgasmically whenever I'm having sex with someone else, just so you know. And it's like, well, didn't know that was an option, but now I do. And I've done it. <laughs> that game is wild. <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> it's so queer. Like yeah. anyone, anyone and anything seems to be able to get together. Um, which I discovered what Gail looked like just in his pants and was like, oh, hello. <laughs> Maybe we should have a conversation at some point in time. <laughs> ah, but all of those things aside, Carlac. Oh, Carlac. Because she wears all those leather yeah. straps and I just... I... And she's so uh, sweet. Carlac's like the the obvious one. I was like, this, you've, you've created this character just because I'm going to fall into that trap. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I have several friends who are just like, and she's northern. It's like the editing, like, Kalak, and she's northern is just like the ultimate of like. Oh, okay. Well, it seems that we could definitely carry on, and I'm not discouraging <laughs> us from doing because we could talk about every character. And yes, historian. Ah. <laughs> and I am resolutely gay as gay can be, but. He has turned my head. Look, look <laughs> occasionally there's a there's a guy every now and then, and a star ends apparently one. Exactly, of them. yeah, no, yeah, I'm just like, yeah. Wait, it's like yeah. every now and again there's a guy, and he he yeah. is it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a mistake, but I wish to make it over and over. <laughs> and uh, but yes, we could talk about this endlessly, and I have every desire to do that. But perhaps, dear listener, you might want to actually go do something else. <laughs> to that end, uh, I wanted or, to thank, hmm? or or go play Baldur's Gate yourself. I mean, that I, too. Or yeah. read, uh, read um, Stories of Autistic Joy by Laura Kate Dale. And to that end, Laura, is there anywhere else that people might be able to find you and what you do? 
Yep. Uh, whatever social media you happen to be using, I'm at Laura K. Buzz on basically all of them. Uh, no matter where you have landed in the great exodus from Twitter, I'll be there at Laura K. Buzz. I do weekly videos about video game accessibility over on YouTube, again at Laura K. Buzz. If you search Laura Kate Dale or Laura K. Buzz, you'll find the places I am on the internet and the books I have done. Wonderful. And you also have a Patreon, I know that. I do. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Laura K. Buzz. If you go and find those things that I do and then go, oh, I quite enjoy these things and would like to support them, that is how you can do so. And we also have a Patreon, which is, so go to Laura and then afterwards come to us, <laughs> uh, which is patreon.com slash it is complicated onward. And the money that we gather from there, uh, we pay our guests because everybody who comes on is deserving of money in this ridiculous system we call capitalism. So um, that's where your money goes. But even if you can't, um, you are very welcome every single episode. And I hope you'll come back and find us wherever we happen to be on the internet, because we certainly aren't on Twitter anymore. Um, I still linger for some Hello. reason. I'm still there, but it's only because it is by far the place that the most people follow yeah. me. And as someone that is like... I'm never going to have 60,000 people following me on another platform again in future. It's hard to let go of that. Yeah, I get it. But I, I, I hate that I'm still there, but... Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll bring some moments of joy. And it actually does, because lots of lovely trans and non-binary people are on there that I love making fabulous art. So anyway, find us where you can and do come back and join us again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.